And would you please join me for a word of prayer once again. The privilege has been ours this morning to worship you in song. We've worshipped you by listening to your word. We come now to the portion of our service where we engage our hearts with your word. We pray your spirit to be active in our midst and that you would be honored and glorified through it all. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm tasked this morning with letting you know the state of Open Bible Church. That is, how are we doing? There's a couple of ways that I could do this. I could simply look around and say, well, everything looks pretty good. Let's all go home and get some lunch. I thought I'd get some amens from that one, right? Yeah, thank you. A very late amen out of that one. That's good. But really, that approach is, is too simplistic because if your memory serves me like mine does, things look pretty good for the Titanic just before it hit an iceberg and sank to the bottom of the ocean. So judging things by their appearance really isn't the best approach. So I could look at the financial records. We did this back on December 17th last year. We looked at our income. We looked at our expenses. We saw that we had a positive balance in the books, and we could just declare everything is fine. But everything financially looked fine in the United States in September of 1929 before we had the biggest stock market crash that our nation has ever known. So just looking at things financially isn't the right approach either. So what standard do we use to judge the state of Open Bible Church? You've all been around here for a while. You're not going to be surprised to say, to hear me say, we're going to go to the Bible. That's going to be our standard, right? It's the standard we must use. And you can tell by the PowerPoint slide, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2, looking at verses 42 through 47. These verses summarize the things that were true of the early church in its infancy, just after it got started. And I think here we're going to find several points that can be said of the early church, and I believe they can, to some extent, be said to be true open Bible church as well. So have your Bibles open to Acts chapter 2. Let me give you a little bit of background here. What has happened up to this point? Christ has finished His work here on the earth. He was born. He lived a perfect life. He had a public ministry where He proclaimed the kingdom of God. He was crucified on the cross. All hope seemed to be lost. The disciples were in despair. He was buried in the tomb. Three days later, He came out of that tomb. The world was changed. His disciples were now on fire. And now He's been taken back up into heaven. Just before He left, He told His disciples, go back to Jerusalem and wait there, and you will have the power of the Holy Spirit that will come upon you. And sure enough, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came upon the people who were gathered there in that upper room, very likely somewhere around 120 people at that point, gathered in the upper room, 
and the Holy Spirit came upon them, and Peter went out into the public, into the marketplace. He preached a sermon, and the, and the church as it existed at that time had grown from a very small group to 120, and in one sermon, the church exploded to 3,000 people. Maybe this will be that sermon here. We wouldn't be ready for that, would we? But the church had exploded to 3,000 people. And here's what was true of these 3,000 people. Look with me at Acts chapter 2. We're going to start at verse 42 where we learn, first of all, first off, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. I want to note a couple things here. It says that they devoted themselves. If you look at this, this, this verse in the original Greek language, the structure and the grammar here it lends itself to the idea that they were continually devoting themselves. This wasn't just a one-time thing that said, okay, all in favor of following the teaching of the apostles. You know, it wasn't one of those things. This was something they did day after day. The idea here indicates a steadfast, single-minded devotion to a course of action. How many NBA fans do we have in here? People like the NBA, couple, couple of us. Yeah. Have you ever noticed that in an NBA game, athletes can be well into the game, breathing heavily. I, I, I breathe hard just getting to my seat for the game, right? But these athletes are breathing heavily after, as part of the game and perhaps even hurting from a foul that had just been committed on them. And they get up to the free throw line and they swish. They seldom miss. Statistics tell us 80% of the time, an NBA player who throws a free throw sinks it. Why is that? How can they be that consistent? It is by continual devotion to their task. Most NBA players will shoot between 100 and 200 free throws every single day continual devotion. That's the idea of what we're looking at here. These 3,000 baby Christians were continually devoting themselves to God's Word. It says that they were devoted, they devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles. What was the teaching of the apostles? Well, they hadn't written the epistles yet. By the way, the epistles are not the wives of the apostles. Just want to make sure we understand that. There's a lot of confusion on that sometimes. But, but these apostles are someday down the road going to write letters to the Corinthians and to Philippi and to Colossae and to the churches in Galatia. Those things hadn't been written yet. So they couldn't read and teach epistles. There were no biographical statements, biographical stories of the life of Christ at that time, the things we normally call the Gospels written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So what was the teaching of the apostles? It was simply this. It was the content of the story as properly understood and interpreted by the teachings and the sayings and the preachings of Jesus Christ. They had been with Christ for three years. They had heard Christ say the things that you heard Him say last year when we went through the Sermon on the Mount where Christ said, you have heard that it was said... 
That's the teaching of the Old Testament. But I say to you, and all of a sudden, minds are blown and eyes are opened. They understood it completely differently because of that. And they recalled these things because they loved Jesus so much. They treasured the memory of all He had said. So here's the principle that was true in the early church in its infancy. When the Spirit reigns, a love for God's Word will also reign. So what is the state of Open Bible Church? You're not going to be surprised at this, right? I think I can say unequivocally that we love the Word of God at Open Bible Church. It's the center of everything we do. It's the center of our name. We are Open Bible Church. It's the center of everything. Could we do better in some things? Absolutely. Could all of us be better at having our regular quiet times? I think probably. I think that would be an improvement. Could there be more devotion to um, and dedication to being here at the church when the Word of God is being expounded to us? Yeah, probably. I'm not here to diss those people who aren't here today, but I'm simply saying, could we all probably be better dedicated to making sure nothing keeps us from being here at church? I think so, probably. So, by and large, how, what is the state of Open Bible Church? I think this is one we can put a check mark by. Yeah, we are devoted to the Word of God. And when the Spirit reigns in our midst, as I said, I believe the reason why we love the Word of God is because of that. So step number one, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Put a check mark by that. I think we're doing pretty good. Secondly, verse 2 says that they also devoted themselves to the fellowship. They were devoted to the fellowship. The word fellowship here is a New Testament word that we hear a lot about. It's the word koinonia. In fact, this is the first time in Scripture that the word koinonia is used. And we'll find out as you scan through the rest of the New Testament, it's used quite often there. But the idea of koinonia comes with the idea of commonness. Every time this word for fellowship is used in the New Testament, it denotes some sort of sharing based on the idea of oneness. We're all in this together. In fact, go down to verse 45, 44 and 45. It makes it even clearer. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. That's koinonia. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Fellowship in the early church meant something more than getting together for a carry-in meal which is frequently what it means in our churches, right? Oh, join us for our Sunday evening fellowship. We fellowship all the time. It meant something more than It was more than just a sentimental feeling. It was this concept as they lived it out of oneness. So here's the principle for this. When the Spirit reigns, God's people relate to one another in oneness. So again, state of Open Bible Church. Well, are we 
selling all our possessions and distributing to any who have a need? Not exactly. I have a strong hunch that if that kind of need arose, we would find people who would reach that level of sacrificial giving. But the big picture for us, and you've noticed it if you've been here at Open Bible Church for a while, is we have tremendous oneness here at this church. I speak to other pastors about our family meetings that we have here. And pastors in other churches, in other churches they call them business meetings, and pastors in other churches say, I hate the whole idea of going to business meetings because I know there's going to be such fighting. And I say, not my church. I brag on you all all the time. I don't know if you know that. We have tremendous oneness. We, we are together and we understand these things. That we have this tremendous oneness here. And let me just say, for those of you who've been coming for a while and you've never actually taken the step of becoming church members, we really need you to do that. And you know why? One of the great blessings of church membership is it's a way for us to know we can count on you. If you're just attending, you haven't become a member yet, we have no idea as we kick off some initiatives for 2024, I wonder who we can count on. I know some of them because they became members here. They said, listen, I'm committed to the ministry of this church. I join in. I want to participate in the oneness that we have here. Let me be that little dig for you this morning, okay? If you're not a member here, man, would you join us? Because that communicates to us that you're with us in this, that you want to keep this going for us. Thirdly, verse 42, it says that they emphasized worship, the breaking of bread and the prayers. Their worship consisted of these two things, the breaking of bread and the prayers. And I believe that their breaking of bread refers to their regular observance of the Lord's Supper. For these early believers, they would meet together to share a meal, and at the end of that meal, they would take the remaining bread and the remaining wine, and they would engage in remembering Christ's death. And this is something that they were, again, continually devoted to. The early church seems to have done this on a daily basis. And the thing about this is, and I was just explaining this to somebody who's been coming here for a while, Becca and I went to go visit her. The Bible doesn't say how often you have to do this. The Bible doesn't say you must do the, do the Lord's table every single day. Man, we'd, all be, we'd have a very different schedule if we tried that, wouldn't we? It doesn't even say you've got to do it every week, even though there are some churches that the observance of communion is a part of their weekly church service. And there is nothing wrong with doing that. There are some churches that they do it every month. Again, that's fine. There are some churches like the church, the first church that I was in uh, after I graduated from college. We celebrated the Lord's Supper twice a year. Easter and Christmas. And that's okay because, again, the Bible doesn't say how often you're supposed to do it. It just says when you do it, this is how you're supposed to do it. We've chosen here at Open Bible Church to observe the Lord's Supper four times a year. We do it every quarter. And our whole purpose in doing it with that frequency is simply so it doesn't become an empty, meaningless ritual. My fear is if we did it every week, it would just become meaningless. Even if we did it every month, I think, 
It could just it could just be seen as something that we got to add on to the end of a service, which quite frankly is what they do in a lot of churches. We've decided we're going to do it four times a year. And when we do it, we're going to dedicate the whole service just to that. Because we believe this is an important thing. I want you to notice that the other way that they worshipped in addition to the breaking of bread was prayer. And specifically it says, the prayers. Suggesting that there were specific prayers, probably a combination of Jewish prayers that they learned because they were initially a Jewish group, Jewish prayers that they had memorized, and other prayers that Christians had come up with where they said, man, that's a great prayer, let's all memorize that so we can say that one together. But here's the key. These Jewish prayers that all of believers in the early church learned from the time that they were children, if they were Jewish, all of a sudden they took on new meaning because they understood what Christ had to do with all of that. All of a sudden, these prayers were not just empty rituals that we repeat because they're part of the history of our existence as Jewish people. Now, all of a sudden, they've been adapted, they've been modified, and they have deep, rich meaning because when you know Christ, He opens up your eyes to powerful truths that can be so purposeful in our lives. So here's the principle. When the Spirit reigns, the hearts of God's people move up toward Him and their relationship with Him intensifies. So how is Open Bible Church doing with worship? And again, I, I think our worship here is meaningful. I think it is genuine. We're not caught up in focusing on the latest trends and using all the lasers and the smoke and all that other stuff. We don't just sing the latest music because it's new, even though we'll sing new songs from time to time. But we all, our emphasis is always, let's make the music consistent with the passage of Scripture that we're going to be looking at that day. And the, the purpose here is to encourage people. When we sing these songs, we want you to feel within yourselves this, this upward lifting saying, I need to be in more intense in my relationship with God because of the, the songs we this morning. They did that, didn't they? didn't they? We were reminded of these powerful truths of one gospel. I stand on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And because of that, I belong to the Lord. I am not my own. And because I belong to the Lord, I've got a task that I've got to join with Him. It should lift our spirits to say, I need to be better in my Christian life. That's what worship should do. Now, I need to be honest with you. I personally think that we are weak when it comes to the area of prayers. I have made a concerted effort to go a little bit deeper, a little bit more meaningful in my pastoral prayers. Many of you have commented on that. You've said that you like that. That's been well received. We have our monthly prayer and praise times. And those are wonderful times, and I love those, but I have to admit, those are attended by very few of us. In my honest effort of saying, how is Open Bible doing? Quite honestly, we don't pray together nearly enough as the early church did. We've got Awana and youth group on Wednesday nights, and how I wish we could find another 
evening that we could come together together, all of us as a church, just simply to focus on prayer. It's an area we need to work on. So while we're preaching this message, I'm not just here to say we can check them all off. We're doing just fine and we can pat ourselves on the back. Sometimes people will break their arm trying to pat themselves on the back. Not here to do that. I'm here to be honest with you and say, as wonderful as this church is and as blessed as we are to be a part of this fellowship of believers, don't ever get the idea there isn't room for improvement. And this is one area of that. Fourthly, for this you need to jump all the way down to verse 47. We learned that they grew genuinely. Look at the end of verse 47. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Think of that. A daily revival. They started off with just a handful of people. Followers of Jesus Christ. Those who hadn't scattered to far reaches when Christ was arrested. Many of them did. Just a handful of people. Then they grew to 120. Then it suddenly exploded to 3,000. And people were coming to know Jesus Christ on a daily basis. What a powerful time in the history of the early church. So here's the principle. When the Spirit reigns, God's people relate to the world as they should. When the Spirit is in control, and remember, all of this happened because the Holy Spirit came to them the day of Pentecost. When the Spirit reigns, God's people relate to the world as they should. When the Spirit is moving and active in a church, there's a wonderful reorientation of essential relationships. And how did wonderful, genuine growth occur? Look back at verse 43. And awe came upon every soul. And I know that the rest of that verse speaks of wonders and signs being done through the apostles, but notice this, that the awe came before the signs. There was awe that existed in the church before it is mentioned anything about the wonders and signs. And how we need this today. Nothing would promote revival in our midst more than a genuine awe before our holy God coupled with an extreme sense of our unworthiness. It's what happened to Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5, where he ends up saying, Woe to me, I'm undone. I'm an unclean man with unclean lips and I'm standing and I'm right here in the presence of a holy God. We need a little bit more of that in our church, I believe. Now notice with me how genuine this condition was with the early church. Verse 46 tells us that they attended the temple and then went to their homes. This is not a segmented Christianity which happens too often in too many of our churches where we all come to church, we put on our good clothes, paint on a smile, and people say, how are you doing? And we say, I'm fine. Then we leave here and we go to our church and we're kicking the dog and yelling at the wife and or something, I don't know. That's a segmented Christianity, but there was a genuineness here. What happened to them at church, the temple at that time, was simply true of them also in their homes. It had to do with the fact, according to verse 47, that these early Christians were praising God. There was a right relationship with God and finding favor with all the people. There's a right relationship with people. So finally, 
how are we doing at Open Bible Church? Are we seeing people saved? Yes, praise the Lord. Are we seeing people as believers following in the obedience of baptism? Yes, praise the Lord. Is our praise and worship of God consistent in the church as it is in our homes? Only you can answer that one. But here's what I know. The good news is that I, as your pastor, sense in our church what is mentioned in verse 46, where it says that they had glad and generous hearts. That's what I see among our people here at Open Bible Church. Are we a perfect church? No. People who are going out shopping for a new church, looking for that perfect church, my advice to you is don't join it because as soon as you join it, it'll lose its perfection. It's the way it is for us. People tell me they don't want to come to church because the church is full of hypocrites. And I tell them, no, no, there's always room for one more. Come and join the rest of us. We, all, we are not a perfect church. There's always room for improvement. But as we move forward into this year, let's work on developing an awe of God that results in a larger impact for Christ among our family and among our friends and among our community. And in just a moment, when we're done with some other things here, we're going to be looking at four very strategic ways that we can accomplish just that here in our church. Join me in prayer, please. Thank you, Father, for the truths of the early church. Even as infant babies, they seem to get it right. Father, teach us to do these things as well. And let it not be something that is superimposed upon us, but something that is, comes from within, that is integral to our existence. Help us, Father, to always be committed to your word, to always be committed to our fellowship, our oneness as a church, to focus on worshiping you correctly. And then be reminded, as the song has already told us this morning, we go to all the world with kingdom, truth unfurled. No other name can save anybody except the name of Jesus Christ. And we are his representatives. Help us to do that well in 2024. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.